Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down. Brought to you by KDD Media Company. There's certain things in life, hard things in life, moments in life, a loss, an addiction, you know, recovery, uh, relationships that you, you just need to walk through. Like there's no escape hatch. There's no shortcut. There's no get out of jail free pass. Like you just have to walk through those things and it, it takes what it takes, Mm -hmm. but you have to. You, you can't really avoid them. Yeah, you try and, you know, you try and protect people and especially in situations where there could be some significant harm, but there's some things that they just have to walk through. They have to walk through those things. This is Knocking Doors Down, a podcast about ending the stigma around addiction and mental health issues. Your host, Jason, here, background of alcoholism, some childhood trauma. My co-host over there, Uncle Mikey. What is going on, people? Hey, he's been busted a time or two. Yeah, what are you going to do? Struggles a little bit with some anxiety in other areas. But uh, hey, we're all about talking with people that take all of these matters and issues openly talk about them to destigmatize it and uh well that's what knocking doors down is all about that's pushing right. through and our guest this week uncle mikey dr wade gilbert dr wade gilbert a man of many talents well that's i i said his name but i didn't yeah, you're right many talents many talents mental health coach professor yeah. He is, uh, and of course, the author of a great book, Coaching Better Every Season. Of course, it does focus on athletics, but uh, when we talk to Dr. Gilbert, you can really tell that any of the things in the teaching and the work that he does with professional athletes, collegiate athletes, and as we highlight, he was the uh, mental health coach for the women's bronze medal Canadian softball team at the Olympics that just passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can come into play for anyone, be sure. it uh, you know some of our listeners or, or someone like myself that you've struggled with addiction, getting on the other side, mental health, and so on. There's a lot of these aspects that we discuss here you can implement in your daily life just to improve. Oh, yeah. No, sure. It's definitely a good one. I mean, they all are, but this one is too. Yeah, and Dr. Gilbert, he's uh, he's a lot of fun. We do get into some great stories. Uh, Mikey and I try to leverage a little bit of his connection to, to sports to see if we can meet some of our favorite athletes. Uh, but uh, again, Dr. Uh, Gilbert, he is right out of Fresno. He is a professor at Fresno State, so uh, local to where we record our podcast. And uh, his book is available, Coaching Better Every Season. So definitely check that out. And, of course, if uh, you are listening to this podcast, you know we are sponsored by 5150 LTM. That's right. Always swagged out in it. 
Yeah, you got to live the madness. Of course, that's what the 5150 uh, LTM lifestyle is all about, is uh, lots of us have been through some adverse times. Every person goes through it, but hey, let it fuel your future, fuel your passion, and uh, get motivated and get after your goals in life. And listeners of Knocking Doors Down, you can get 20% off at checkout. How, Jason? Well, Uncle Mikey, they just have to use the code KDD20. That's KDD20. Use the numerics at checkout. Click that link in the podcast description. And uh, yeah, get that 20% off right now. What's the code again? KDD20. Sick. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Dr. Wade Gilbert, thanks for joining us on Knocking Doors Down. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, glad you're a doctor. I got a list of questions that I had prepared for you because mine won't call me back. So you're <laughs> he's, he's not, that, <laughs> not that kind of doctor. Although, oh, damn it. Although damn we it. both could use a laying on a couch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all we all could join the club. So you can't help uh, me with this rash that I found. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see your rash. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the book uh, um, as we get into things, coaching uh, better every season and how maybe that can translate for anyone that's struggling with mental health or as we talk to a lot of people in recovery and hey, anyone much like myself in recovery, we've got some mental health issues and it's okay to say so. Um, but more about you just returned. You were part of the Olympics this year. Yeah. The, the infamous COVID Olympics in, in <laughs> Tokyo, the 2021 Olympics now, and a uh, very unusual Olympic experience. The whole country was in a state of emergency while we we're there. And uh, you were basically herded, shepherded everywhere you went. Um, you, you couldn't leave your little, little bubble. We had to get tested every single day and, I had to do the uh, the test where you spit into a vial. Yeah. Have you, have you done that one? No, only the nasal swab. Yeah. So this one we had to do it. We were there the whole month of July. We had to do it every morning, and you have to you had to fill uh, an inch worth of this vial with saliva. And if you've ever tried to do that on demand with an audience in a bunch of doctors and a team with you. Uh, you get a dry mouth pretty quick and all of a sudden you're you're trying to fill this vial and all you're getting is air and bubbles and it actually created a lot of anxiety for some of the some of the players and even myself at one point I thought man because everybody's if you're the, one of the last ones everybody's waiting it's like come on man just spit it out let's go but you got nothing to, nothing to spit so what ended up happening you get notification every 30 minutes before the the test okay meet down in the lobby or at this this place for your test again, eat or drink in that 30 minutes. So after about the third day, the, the team figured it out. It's like, you know what? As soon as I get that notification, I'm not swallowing for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> so you, you all meet the, down in the room or the lobby somewhere and everybody's 
looks like chipmunks, their cheeks are full and nobody says a word. They get their vial and just unload into that vial and <laughs> off you go. <laughs> but it was a great experience for the team. They made history. The team I was with was uh, Team Canada, their softball team, and uh, they'd never won a medal, an Olympic medal. So we had the, the best stats in the tournament. We lost uh, the only two games we lost were one was extra innings and both games were one nothing. So they, they played great and won the bronze medal and uh, great experience. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I can't in going back to being tested and whatnot. I, I can't imagine the anxiety leading up to training as hard as you train, doing all that work you've put in with the possibility to may not be able to compete if you do test positive. I can't imagine what would be going through every athlete's head. Yeah. At some point, you know, we, we did a lot of work, uh, years of work. Right. And, and in fact, I had a, a, a interview with a coach the other day, a professional rugby coach in Ireland and they're heading into their season. And he said, what's the one thing that really made the difference with that team. And because our team became known widely regarded as, as a, the model of a, of a good team. Mm. They really worked together. They didn't panic, not necessarily the most talented team, but just a really good working, cohesive group of people. Um, and I said, the one thing was everything. Like it's, it's all the little moments and interactions and details and everything you do. So for sure, there's always moments that you encounter that you couldn't anticipate and even more so with the, the COVID situation leading into training, leading into the Olympics at the Olympics, even moment by moment, day by day, schedule changes, buses change, uh, this just everything's changing constantly. So you can either worry about that and be in a, in a kind of, kind of constant heightened sense of anxiety and arousal, which is, as you know, tremendously exhausting yeah yes or you can accept it for what it is and and almost expect it you know like i, I get up today and i expect something's not going to happen the way we planned it to happen okay and there was a book that went around the team i didn't i didn't pick the book one of the athletes did who was really struggling and she found this book through a friend i guess it's called it takes it takes what it takes I think that's what it's called. It's uh, Trevor Moad, M-O-W-A-D. And he's a guy who works with Alabama football. Um, Russell Wilson's one of the main clients. He, he's a performance psychologist. And he works with a lot of teams, but mostly with football. And through his experience, he found that one of the keys, which is not a new concept. It's been around for thousands of years, but it's kind of packaged new in a sense. Just this, what he calls neutral thinking. And you, you, you don't have to accept your reality, but you have to acknowledge it. Sure. So, so in his world, you know, if he's working with pro football players or pro football team, okay, we just got scored on, we're down 14. Or we just shit the bed, we had a terrible first half, we're down 22 points. Okay, well, what are you going to do? going to be miserable and start screaming at each other and throwing chairs and getting your head and yeah. pointing fingers or are you, you're going to acknowledge that sucked we sucked that was shitty what are we going to do mm -hmm. so what's next so you, you, you reset 
and that's hard, right? Especially when emotions come into play and, um, and when you have a group of people trying to do that together. So he, he works a lot in that area, but to me that, that relates to mindfulness and, uh, being present. I always tell our players, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're feeling anxiety and it's like, wow, this is a big championship game, or this is to get into the gold medal game. You don't have to be more, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be present. And if everyone's present, then we can make better decisions and at least give ourselves a chance. That's interesting. You bring that up. Cause uh, I, I don't know how many times I fucking watched uh, the last dance, the bulls documentary. Yeah. But yeah. they said that that was the, that's the one thing that stood out to me. The power of Michael Jordan was his ability to be in the present. Mm-hmm. And that is something for me, you know, going through recovery that I find when, and when I talk to people, if I'm mentoring or reaching out to the, to a mentor that we really discuss a lot is that power of being in the present. Yeah. And that, that's a great documentary, whether you're in sport or basketball, just um, so much of what I, I've, learn from being around great teams and all levels pro college olympic all over the world is that it's messy it's hard and you're going to be miserable at times and you're going to hate a teammate at times and you're going to have shitty days and and so there's never this utopian kind of state where wow we made it and life is amazing you know what unless you're a tom brady fan (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, Tom Brady struggles. Of Tom course. Brady has doubts. Tom Brady, it's just, and, and there was probably the, I think it's the best selling self-help book of all time. It's a book called The Road Less Traveled. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of that book? I yeah. have heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's maybe back in the seventies. So it was like the first self-help book, popular self-help book. And I don't necessarily recommend it as a reading to people, but I use it as an example because the first line of that book is three words. The first sentence is three words long. So the best-selling self-help book of all time, the first piece of advice, the first sentence is life is hard, period. So let's start from there. Life is hard. It will always be hard. So then we take the next step and thinking about we have choices, right? So we, we decide how we're going to approach these difficulties and we need help and it's, it's human. And I even joked, I was at an event in the world ice hockey championships in Slovakia last year. And I started off as people were asking some questions, similar types of questions. I said, look, if you're alive, it's going to be hard. Like just let's start with that especially if you're trying to do really excellent things in life or, um, but even just regular things, you know, especially with dealing with mental health issues, like a a win is getting out of bed. Right. So you might, if I'm working with an athlete trying to win a gold medal, maybe working with someone who's just trying to get well, you know, the gold medal is getting out of bed today and doing something productive, taking a little step. Right. So it's that that's kind of a place that I've I've tried to be connect more with the humanity of of you're working with people and I always tell coaches look you're number one you coach people 
who play sport. You don't coach tennis. You don't coach football. You don't coach hockey. You coach people who play tennis or who play hockey or who play football. So you have to focus on people first. Absolutely. Hey, Doc, I got to ask you if you've uh, caught the uh, Jason Sudeikis show, Ted uh, Lasso, because like, I, that's the thing I've loved about the show, even though it's comedy, it's got a lot of heart, but it's that real psychology of people and kind of his, his stance is to how do we get into that little void to make them be able to maximize themselves in a competitive situation. And it's really kind of a good translation to, to life. I mean, I, you know, I played sports throughout high school. I know Mikey did some competition too. And, it, you know, at times I missed that shit being in my early forties. It's like, ah, if I could just go out on the basketball court and compete mm -hmm. one more time, I might learn some lessons that I didn't pick up on, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh, definitely, it's hard to replicate that experience that, that you have in sport uh, in many cases, because you get, you know, there's a collective, um, pursuit of a shared goal. There's a physical component to it, which, you know, obviously changes. I, the more I learn, I teach a class on, on the brain body connection and psychobiology and neuroscience and things like that. And I'm by no means an expert in that. I'm, I'm always trying to learn. I'm basically one step ahead of my students, but trying to make sense of that. And, you know, the easiest way to change chemistry and when you think about it emotions and thoughts like at their core that's just chemistry mm -hmm. hormones so the easiest way to change your chemistry is to move you, you can change your chemistry through your physiology in a sense so i'll give you an example we had a player on our team who'd already uh veteran player and struggling a lot with mental health issues and was on medication and at first we tried a lot of i guess mental things cognitive things you know so positive self-talk and visualization and goal setting and but none of it really made a deep impact it was almost like band-aids you know but the mental health issues were it wasn't really getting at it and she's very very physical, very fit, probably one of the fittest athletes I've ever been around and love to do CrossFit and running and everything else. And I just said, well, look, you love to run. Why don't you just run more in a sense, you know? So each day, let's make sure you get a long run in each day. And if that even means doing a little bit less technical training, because by getting that long run in, we know when you're moving like that, how that changes brain chemistry. And it's essentially, it's a drug, right? Your body, your body doesn't really know where the drug comes from, but by moving, you're creating your, the release of certain chemicals and neurotransmitters that, you know, just in, in plain English, exercise is medicine, right? So if, if you're moving, you're creating a better chemistry in your brain so that you can better handle these, these thoughts and these feelings that you're having. Yeah. And it actually made a big difference for her. Yeah, I noticed for me that it's uh, definitely something I've had to and speaking with other people, you know, with recovery or even mental health issues, traumas that, you know, hey, it, yeah, like you said, that dopamine or serotonin, <laughs> the brain doesn't, you know, it's just like, here it is, you know, and of course, a lot of us, 
uh, that abuse substances. Uh, you know, we want that in the quickest, easiest form possible. So it's, I think, a part of that changing your mindset of, of, of how you're going to go about getting it. And oddly enough, and I would think probably with athletes, but you, you earn even self-esteem in doing it in a natural, more approach of being physical activity and such. Well, there's a lot of benefits to it. Have you ever heard of um, a guy named John Rady and the book Spark? Doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, I'll send you the link. You can share it with, with your listeners. It's, okay. I would highly recommend. He's a psychiatrist uh, based out of Harvard and made his whole life uh, trying to understand how to help people um, in with depression and schizophrenia and mental health issues and the full gamut and kind of stumbled across some early studies that showed the impact of exercise on mood and emotion and brain chemistry. And now there's a whole field of science study around that, but um, you know, that, that idea, the runner's high. Yeah. That, that's something that was discovered by accident in the 1970s when the running boom started to take off and, you know, they started having 10 Ks and marathons and now we got mud runs and everything else. Right. But, and triathlons, but that's fairly recent. And, and when people started to run and exercise in the late seventies, they started to notice that they, yeah, they were losing weight. That's why they started to do, they want to get physically fit, but they started to feel different mentally and emotionally. And we didn't have any science behind it, but people were reporting, Hey, you know, after 20, 30 minutes of running, I just, I feel euphoric i i feel good and that was that that term the runner's high it literally is a high you're, you're getting a hit it's a drug that's one really? of the highs i never got <laughs> <laughs> you gotta add that to your list i know but yeah but it doesn't have to be running but just the idea of movement you know physically moving it could be a fast walk it could be cycling it could be playing racquetball whatever um after 15, 20 minutes of sustained activity, the, the, the chemical changes that are, that are triggered from that movement get, make us feel better. Right. And, and so that we've, it's always been there, it's wired into us, but it's hard. It's easier to take, pop a pill or to, you know, do something else. Uh, but you got to put some effort into it. But there's also the social component too. Like if you're, if you're moving with, with other people, whether that's playing a, a pickup game of basketball or whatever it might be, you're getting the physical benefits, but you're also getting the emotional and, and mental benefits. Plus, you're also starting to rewire some of those connections. More with Dr. Wade Gilbert. We have, of course, those fun random questions. Mikey and I try to leverage a little bit of his connection to celebrity athletes and see if uh, he could take us to meet a few. Uh, and he's just a really informative guy, and you definitely want to stick around and hear more from Dr. Wade Gilbert. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. 
The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Sure, it's really changing neural pathways in doing so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we, we all, but I understand, you know, it's it's complicated and everyone's situation is different. So it's not as simple as, hey, just go out and run more and you're going to be fine. It's, it, it's, it's hard and it's complicated and everybody's situation is different, but that can be something that can be added. You know, some form of physical activity and movement and the social component can really make a difference for people. Plus it get it gives them meaning in life too, right? So if you're part of a pickup basketball team or going golfing or whatever, it might be playing tennis, it just kind of gives you an additional little bit of purpose in life. Absolutely. Dr. Gilbert, um, being that you, you know, you've done so much, I got to know, tell us about young Wade uh, growing up. What, what, what were you like and how did you end up going towards this field? I'm going to assume that you are a sports fan working around sports. There had to be a passion there in addition to, uh, you know, your, your, your studies and such. Yeah. Uh, I think as you get, I'm 51 now, but as you, as you get older in life and you kind of reflect and look through the rear view mirror a little bit and wonder, you know, you have those moments like why, why, why am I in Fresno? Why, like, how did I end up here? And people often ask me that, why do you live in Fresno? And I always I say, well, that too when I, visit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I say, well, for the raisins, man, it's the raisin capital of the world. If you right. like raisins and grapes, you gotta, you gotta be where the action is. But, uh, <laughs> I, hope I hope that's your fucking answer to people. I love raisins. Gotta be where the action is, man. Get near to the it, ground, man. brother. Exactly. That's right. Go right to the source, brother. And uh, but I do tell people that stuff because people will, you know, especially when I'm doing events. Um, and there's, you know, you've been around. Just there's a little bit of uh, different views on different, depending on where you live. It always amazes me. You know, people have no problem trash talking somebody's hometown it's like what the you live in that place what the what do you live there for oh, that's the story of our lives man. I get <laughs> yeah. that every time i tell yeah. people where i live like what why yeah. what is there to do exactly. it's like, what the hell do you do that's so different that i don't exactly I exactly you know and at the end of the day it's people and community and you know those simple things that we overlook it's not buildings and right things like that um but it's, it's what made you you your town yeah, made you man. you Exactly, exactly. And so I grew up in a small town. I was actually born in Toronto, biggest city in Canada, but then uh, at a very young age moved north, northern Canada, a small town, 5,000 people, uh, pretty much up in the middle of nowhere. But it was a great place to grow up because, and also just the time, you know, in the 70s, it's, it's like parents were at work and get out of the house see you later, you know, walk a couple miles to school every day, back and forth, like just stuff that you wouldn't necessarily do in a lot of places today and different time and different environment. But that freedom allowed me to, and my buddies just to play, you know, and make up games and try shit and make jumps and run your bikes over platforms and jumps and, you know, fall and <laughs> break your arm just well, that stupid things creativity too it gets totally. your mind going it gets your yeah. imagination yeah. like that's what i yeah. feel like kids need nowadays as opposed to a tablet 
or an iPhone. <laughs> you know oh, yeah. what I mean? Oh, I hear you 100%. And that's is something that we always we're well it's cultural you don't see that in every so for example i've been to japan three times for different events and one of the things that stood out to me not saying they're right and we're wrong and right 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 lots of different ways to do this but cultural changes to me are incremental like you don't make a huge shift one day it's just small you chip away at things and then all of a sudden you lift your head up and go, Oh my gosh, look at what we're doing. Our kids are inside all day staring at a video screen. Like that didn't just happen. Right. It's yeah. t- 20 years of incremental changes. And, but one of the things that struck me that uh, over there, like I'm a dad, I got two kids, 14 and 17. And, you know, a lot of times I'll spend the majority of my day being a taxi driver. I'm driving kids to hockey practice, soccer, water polo, school. And I want to do that. I want to be, you know, connected to my kids in their life. But there's also a part of me that feels like, you know what? Walk to school. Ride your bike. Yeah, it's hot. So what? (laughs) But then you flip to the other side and say, well, making them do it for the sake of making them do it when I can do it, I do have the time and I can drive them, but it's almost like you're letting them off the hook a little bit. Um, and you don't want them to be uncomfortable. And, and so my point anyways, when I was in Japan, I noticed like their work schedules are ridiculous. They, they work not, there's no, they don't really have any understanding of, a weekend like they don't really have a word that translates to that like weekend what's a weekend like you just work you're always working um and so the the kids get around on that they find a way to get around they bike they walk they take public transport like you don't see minivans shepherding kids back and forth to soccer practice you just don't see that that the parents are working and the kids figure it out they get around they do stuff but it's also a different environment it's probably a lot safer a little bit more communal and controlled but yeah. but to your point i think um you know and there's some neat this is something i talked to, to on a previous podcast too, a little bit about but there's some neat research that shows you know there's an overrepresentation of pro athletes in every major sport and it's just been replicated around the world from small towns so you, you, you have a greater likelihood of, of making it to the pros if you're coming from a small town. And so you have to ask what's happening in a small town. In a small town, kids have generally have a little bit more freedom to, to play and experiment than to fail mm-hmm. because there's not as many structured activities maybe Um people know each other maybe a little bit more. So they're a little bit more trusting and kids can go outside and mess around and ride their bike and do stuff where you wouldn't necessarily be doing that in LA or Fresno or some Oakland. So I was lucky. I grew up in a small town and then uh, ended up a multi-sport athlete, uh, but never good enough to make a living as an athlete. So end up going through college. Uh, Honestly, when I was graduating high school and, and I figured, well, if I can't make a living as a pro athlete, what's the next best thing? Oh, hanging out in the gym all day in shorts as a, a PE teacher. That sounds great. I'll do that, right? So <laughs> that, that was the extent of Damn it. Damn so, it, I said <laughs> Exactly. Um, and so, you know, you just, you don't know what you don't know when you're young. 
whatever. And so I went through college thinking I'm going to be a PE teacher and there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, that's, that can be a really impactful type of experience. And, but I ended up getting asked by some people at the university who saw something in me that, that I didn't see if I wanted to get involved in grad school and research projects around sport and coaching and, and did that. And one thing led to another and next thing, you know, working at UCLA and, and then had an opportunity to uh, work at Fresno State because my wife works in this field as well. So oh, okay. they offered us two jobs and we were young, didn't have kids. And we thought, yeah, it's great. Let's go try that out for a while. Because it's pretty rare to have two jobs in the same university or the same department. We work down the hall from each other. Right. And um, yeah, it just kind of grew on us. Uh, I love the outdoors. I, I love you know access to the mountains, to the coast. I love to fish and boat and do stuff like that. So just uh, kind of grew on us. And 20 years later, we're still here. Yeah. That sounds familiar. I can relate to that story. It's interesting though. You bring up that small town, um, uh, life as far as, you know, athletes and that ability, we were having a conversation, Mike and myself, was and one of our us? other coworkers. I was like, I swear we were just talking yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. And then mm-hmm. I brought up, uh, uh, Manny Pacquiao. I said, you know, how do you not come from the situation he did? We may not see the excellence that was achieved because a lot of the a lot of athletes that thrive, they are forged in fire, man. I mean, you got to look at like the Rocky movies as prime example, not coming from shit, not having shit, but in it, like you said, and it made me think when you're talking about Japan, having been there is the youth has to become really resourceful, uh, you know, for, for addicts, they can relate to, we were resourceful sons of bitches when we wanted to get whatever our substance was. And we still carry that superpower over into sobriety. And so for mm-hmm. me, it's kind of that resourcefulness um, within athletics or just even great business leaders that seems to be there and present because you hear it all the time, you know, Tim so-and-so, the CEO of a you know, Fortune 500 company, he came from, you know, small town X and has achieved this. Um, it's really pretty fascinating. And I think that it, it goes back to like having to become resourceful and being allowed to fail, which has kind of been almost eliminated with the, you know, I'm not a fan of the everybody gets a trophy shit, you know. I had to earn my goddamn trophy. I had, I had to pitch a no-hitter to get my trophy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've also come to learn that things are never as simple as we want them to be, you know. So it's this way or that way. It, it's always great right? It's always a combination of, of both in a sense. And um, I like the idea someone shared with me once, you know, good environments are, especially when you're trying to lead people, raise kids, lead teams, coach teams, or you could say, you know, lead a group, um, support group, whatever it might be, is they're, they're yes, but environments. And what they mean by that is when someone comes to you with an idea or a suggestion, our initial response is it aligns with what I believe or want to do. So yeah, or it doesn't, no. So it's yes or no. But in, in really rich developmental environments, leadership environments, there's more of a yes, but kind of mindset. So you come to me with an idea 
And I might think, hell no, we're not doing that. That's stupid. Can I catch myself and say, yeah, okay, interesting, <laughs> but can we do it in this way? So, so there's, it's always a bit of a compromise. So there's kind of rules of engagement or maybe boundaries. I always use, like to use this example when I talk to coaches in terms of how they you know, want to create environments. Cause we, again, we go back to simple dichotomies. It's this or that, right. you know, liberal or democratic, you know, male or female, black or white, whatever it is, but it's, it's always great. It's always overlap. And so I say, look, think about your environment like this. It's like a picture frame. So you, you have a picture frame and as the leader, the coach, the mentor, whatever pastor, whatever it might be, there's boundaries. So, so there's some agreed upon boundaries. And if you had a kid in a small town, for example, the boundaries could be physical boundaries. Like you're not crossing it. You can go play, but you're not crossing the train tracks. You're not going over here, but everywhere else within the boundaries here, go play. So, so you create the boundaries that give it some structure because everyone wants structure and guidance. Even people say, get the fuck out of my way and leave me alone, right? <laughs> they, they still want some structure and want to be supported. So you set the boundaries and then you let them paint the picture within the picture frame. So they have the freedom to play and experiment, try things within reason. Right. So like within these boundaries and when I worked with the U.S. the U.S. ski and snowboard team, they used the term. They, they said, this is how this is how we roll. So if you come into the team. Yeah, it's, it's fun and it's that whole X game mentality and independent and rebels, but we still have some some boundaries in how we do stuff. Um, and so they just refer to this is how we roll around here. And, and so I've seen that as, as a good kind of framework for leading groups. You give them some, some boundaries, but then you let them play and paint and create, you know, so they, they have an opportunity to express themselves and be, be themselves in those environments. Because one of the basic human needs, we have three basic human needs, and one, one is autonomy. We want freedom. We want to be able to, to be who we are, right? How we're wired inside, but we also want structure and we also want support. So it's, it's, it's that combination. Absolutely. Well, how did, what made you decide that you wanted to write the book? A paycheck. No, I'm just <laughs> That's the most honest answer. Uh, yeah. Money left. <laughs> I got to, I got to pay, yeah, pay for braces and yeah. uh, insurance for my teenagers. And, um, All right. Yeah, no, there's, there's always been, you may have felt this, you know, there's, there's things inside of you that you feel and oftentimes you kind of blow them off. Yeah. But if the more you kind of learn about yourself and you, you connect with yourself and there's, there's signs, there's things that speak to you in a sense. Um, so I always felt, I've always been a creative person. And if I hadn't kind of fallen into sports science and academia, I think I might, I could have been maybe a director or in music, a producer. Like I, I just love creating things. And so I view my classes when I teach a class, I view it as a creation. Like I'm creating some, some painting in a sense. So no two classes are ever the same because I'm different every day and my students are different. So 
I always had a feeling like there's something I I want to share on a bigger platform and maybe it's in a book format. So I always kind of had files on my computer open when I get an idea. And, you know, nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, they're probably ridiculous ideas or stupid ideas or an idea that someone else had already. Anytime I thought, wow, this is brilliant. I got this great idea. Inevitably, I do a little research on it. Sure enough, somebody 40 years ago was already talking about it. So I would just kind of keep this um, open file and then it was just timing, you know, just patience and waiting and, and thinking about it. And, and I had a publisher um, approach me at an event and say, Hey, you ever think of writing a book? I said, funny you should ask. <laughs> and we, uh, we 1, just, pages. Yeah, go. exactly. Yeah. Which book do you want? And so it, again, it, it's a creative activity. It's a compromise. I think that's an important life lesson. We always, again, we think it has to be this or that, like it's my way or your way, but it's the best things in life are, are always compromises, always compromises. So that book wasn't, I never would have been able to write that book that way by myself. So I wrote it, but I had editors and a coach essentially kind of work, help with the publisher uh, reviewing it and sh- helping shape it and you know we had arguments we went back and forth and there were days where I get off calls and go to my wife and say oh this is bullshit I'm not writing anymore I don't want to do it but you you know it took over three years to write it um, and I originally thought oh yeah six months I'll be done but you just stick with it but you need support right like there's dark days and hard moments and just trying to do it on your own I don't know if you can do things like great things in life or hard things in life on your own. It's, it's, it's challenging to walk through those doors by yourself. So uh, I had a great coach and the editor there and, and he stuck with it. And so it was about three and a half years. And um, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. Uh, it's been really well received. Uh, people in the sport field and coaching love it. It's open doors and connections, giving me opportunities to, do events all over the world and meet people I'd never would have met. So in a sense, the book is, is really kind of a, a gateway um, or a catalyst in a sense to relationships and conversations. And I'm actually, they asked me to write another a follow-up book that I'll probably awesome. start in the next few months. But so, yeah, I don't know. It just uh, was an opportunity to share, but I think we all in a sense have a book inside us, you know, whether that's a painting uh, a podcast, you know, uh, volunteering in our community, mentoring other people. Like there, there's, there's something inside of you that wants to come out, you know, and, 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 and if you're open to that and you're have people around you that can kind of nudge you and support you, I think we all have, have those types of things inside us. Absolutely. And I find it so interesting as it relates to your work and especially, you know, for our listeners that listen for a mental health aspect or an addiction recovery is that importance of community overall and connectivity, Mm -hmm. which I mean, you know, sports offers, but it also makes me wonder, wonder, how do you translate that to your personal life? Not just maybe with you within your marriage, parenting and so forth, because uh, I talk about a lot. Boundaries is a thing that I've really started to learn and work on in recovery. So it was interesting you bring that up within the model of sports and within an organization. Yeah. Before I answer, I'm curious to hear how you guys approach that. What could you expand a little bit on on the boundary idea? 
Well, for me, having come from uh, a trauma background that related to a, a sexual in- incident in my youth, that I realized that throughout my relationships, I kind of, it was always a push and shove of, you know, who's in charge here. And, you know, it was always control issues. It was never, it was never a cohesion like you were talking about the gray area. It was very black and white, you know, and I was definitely guilty in many a situation. So it's really interesting to me that you brought that up in a situation, you know, within context is you, you know, you think the Lakers, all right, get LeBron the ball. Well, that's not always the best thing to do, you know, or get Steph Curry the ball. Nah, sometimes he's going to have to dish or he's not the one that should be controlling the flow or the tempo, you know? And I think that, that as I get older and I, I learned that about interpersonal relationships as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mikey, what, what are your thoughts on that? I I always think you get Steph Curry the ball. He, <laughs> he always controls the tempo. No, I just uh, I I don't I don't think I've ever had issues with boundaries myself. You've been pretty I mean, we've known each other about a decade. He holds pretty well and <laughs> I like to think I mean everyone's different to each their own, but I don't yeah, I don't think I I don't mm. think I've had boundary issues. I just think uh, it's a really interesting aspect of life that maybe we don't because maybe we don't let our youth fail as much that they don't learn. Cause we have to kind of figure out where are our boundaries. It's, it's not a blanket thing, you know? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's honestly, the more I learn about the areas that I work in and, and mental health, as an example, the more I, the less confident I am in, in working in this space so the more the more i learn the more i realize how much i don't know sure and and honestly honestly as i was writing that book by the time i got to the end of the book i felt like man i shouldn't be writing a book about anything i don't know anything about any of this um so it it's a bit scary in a sense as you dive into things and it there's almost a panic moment i found anyways at times where you feel like oh my gosh i'm I'm not qualified to do this. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so there's always that element of doubt. But if you're stretching yourself and you're trying to do new things or, or grow, um, that the, the targets keep moving too. So yes, you're getting healthier, you're getting better, but then the standards and the targets keep moving too. So there's, there's always a stretch um, in, in a sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense too. Cause we, you know, we talk about mental health and all that, but I'm, I don't know. I'm not an expert on it. You know what I mean? I just, I have mental health issues. I can talk to you about mine. We could talk about yours. We'll relate and we'll both realize that it's very common, but I mean, I'm not a doctor. We're not diagnosing. We're not saying you have this, this is what you need to do. We're just talking about it. So I get what you're saying is the more you talk about it, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. I couldn't relate more to that statement. <laughs> I feel you there. What's the saying? Uh, I know uh, what I know. Yeah, yeah, and oh. and just it's it's very humbling, mm-hmm. um, you know. And, and I think by the type of work that you do in the space that you're in, it's very much a service uh, kind of profession, right? You're serving others. You're giving by sharing your story. you're, 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 you're willing to be vulnerable. You're willing to be human. You're willing to pull back that, that armor and say, yeah, I'm fucked up too, man. Like, look, I'm dealing with stuff. We all got stuff and it's hard. 
and you probably aren't going to be able to do it on your own. So let's, let's be human about it. And, and I think, yeah, the type of work that you do and just sharing, I think it's so powerful, just even like in my world in sport, a lot of the issues that I end up working when I'm asked to work with a team or a coach, it's rarely about the sport. It's rarely about technical, tactical, physical. It's almost always relationships, mm-hmm. communication, um, personal issues, mental health issues. And, and so honestly, I, I just, I've learned, I've made tons of mistakes, but I've learned a lot of times, you know, they just really want someone to listen to them. (laughs) And, you know, early in my career, I I felt like, man, I got to tell them stuff. I got to solve their problems. I got to be the fixer. And I, it really hit me one time, honestly, with my wife, when she was venting one day and and I'm trying to be the fixer and I'm trying to, and she said, shut the fuck up. Just shut up. <laughs> I just, I don't need you to fix me right now. I just need you to listen. Just want to be. Exactly. Yeah. Without judgment, without trying to fix me. And I always remember that moment. And it's just, you know, the difference between kind of sympathy and empathy mm-hmm. and, you know, empathy is just, just listen. Say, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that hurts. Yeah, that sucks. Like even things where, you know, a player is coming to me and we're talking about a a meeting they're going to have to have with a coach or another, a teammate. And they start talking about, oh, it's going to be so hard. I know she's going to get emotional and she's going to go here and go there. And and earlier in my career, I would have right away tried to think, okay, how can we fix that? So it's not going to be hard or it's not going to be like that. Now, especially with, you know, mature athletes, college privates, I'll typically I'll say, yep. Yeah. It's going to be hard. Yeah. It's going to suck. Yeah. She's probably going to get emotional. Like just. Yeah. Acknowledging. Stock, right. Yeah, exactly. But- and it kind of knocks them back a little bit because they're coming to you because they want you to solve it and fix it and make it safe. And that's not helping them. I'm if, if I'm trying to, wrap them in, in protective coatings. Oh, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. She's going to love you. And it's no, she's going to call you a bitch and it's going to be hard. And so let's figure out how to work through that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's to me, that's empowering. And it's also showing love to them. Like I love you enough to tell you the truth and to help you deal with reality. I'm, I'm not here to protect you from hard stuff. That's not my job. I'm not doing you any service by trying to pretend that things are something that they aren't. Yeah. So, but that took a long time for me to get there. Yeah. Well, and I know as a father myself that uh, figuring that out sure has <laughs> helped with parenting, man, because those situations. Uh, yeah, shut up, dad. God, yeah, totally. God always asks me to do the dishes. You're ruining my life. Oh, I hate you. Oh, I haven't gotten that yet, Wade. But if I, (laughs) that's going to be a tough one. It's going to be like, you need to go to your room because I'm going to go cry. I'll tell you a story. I, you know, I'm, I, I have a big heart, and I, I, I'm, 
soft at times for sure. But I remember there was one time with my daughter and I think she's in the house now. She might be listening, but that's fine. She knows the story. Um, <laughs> she, I think she was four and she was having a meltdown, big time meltdown. And so <laughs> she we're at home and she was in her room or we made her go in her room and she wanted to come out of her room. And we said, no, you're not coming out of your room. And uh, so I had to physically sit outside the door of her room with two hands holding the door because she's yanking on it on the other side and kicking it and screaming. And I just said, no, you're not getting a pass on this. Like in my mind, you're not just going to get saved in this moment. You, you need to... I think sometimes we forget that there's certain things in life, hard things in life, moments in life, a loss, an addiction, you know, recovery, uh, relationships that you, you just need to walk through. Like there's no escape hatch. There's no shortcut. There's no get out of jail free pass. Like you just have to walk through those things and it, it takes what it takes mm-hmm. but you have to you you can't really avoid them yeah you try and you know you try and protect people and especially in situations where there could be some significant harm but there's some things that they just have to walk through they have to walk through those things yeah as is for all of us right yeah exactly well, Dr. Way, we're going to ask you for some uh, encouraging words from uh, for the uh, listeners here. But right now, let's have some fucking fun. How about some random questions? All right. These are just uh, off the cuff. Have fun with it. Mikey, you're up first. All, All right. right. So. No, Mikey, I don't want to join you next weekend in Tahoe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Top three teams, football, basketball, baseball, and since you're from Canada, I'll throw in hockey too. Go. Top three teams. Uh, like your favorite, all-time, not like current or all-time or oh, my favorite. Your uh, favorite, sorry. Yeah. Let's go my favorite. favorite sport, huh? Holy shit. Okay, football, come on now. Baseball, hockey. Okay, well, I often get asked that question, who's your favorite team? And typically I say whoever I happen to be working with, whoever's writing me a check at the moment. Good oh, answer. yeah. You're right. But – um. I would say definitely the Golden State Warriors a couple of years back in their heyday. It was just fun to watch, whether you're a basketball oh, yeah. fan or not. Absolutely. Just the freedom, the flow, the energy. It was just fun to watch. I told so um, many people that. I said, even if you yeah, don't like basketball, just exactly. watch the Warriors. Just watch them. Exactly. And then, of course, I grew up in the 80s watching Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And sure. that. Yeah. And then, of course, you see it with the, the documentary now. But uh that was incredible to watch um the i love watching the edmonton oilers a hockey team right now because they have the best player in the world maybe one of the best athletes in the world a guy named connor mcgregor uh mcdavid 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 yeah he um he's just i i honestly i just love watching people in their prime and so it's just incredible to see world-class performance. So yeah, the Edmonton Oilers would be one, okay. uh, the Golden State Warriors in their, their prime there. Um, I'm thinking of other, other teams maybe in, <laughs> I guess 
in, in baseball, of course, I got to cheer for the Blue Jays, Toronto Blue Jays growing up and right. being around that. And um, football. World Series. The, yeah, well, I, again, I was in my early 20s, really into that kind of stuff when they won their back-to-back World Series in 92, 93, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, you know, the given that I, I, I work with coaches and study coaches, you know, watching Bill Belichick and, oh. and the Patriots, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, you love him or you hate him, but just his level of – what he's done with at the organizational yeah. level. Uh, and yeah, they have had great players too, but and of course, genius. he is a genius. I will yeah, exactly. And, and um, of course I'm a big Derek and David Carr fans. Haven't had them as students yeah, going through. But okay, now State. you're really starting to break. See, I'm a Raiders fan. fan. Die hard Niners. Die hard. Uh, well, hey, okay. Football was Nin- my main question. I just had to throw out the yeah. <laughs> Niners in the '80s and the early '90s for sure, right? With Montana yeah. and Walsh and Jerry Rice and they what a dynasty. Just it proved phenomenal. my loyalty to the Niners uh, surviving the Jeff Garcia years. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm still a Niner fan, and they did very well. Well, not last year, but yeah, like yeah, yeah. Bandwagon, bandwagon. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and baseball, I'd say, you know, the A's are just a neat case study. They yeah. they get shit on all the time. And like that movie, The Money Ball, Money Ball right? I love Moneyball. I love that movie. I love it. Yeah. It was great. So just underdogs and how they perform. But, you know, you look at the San Francisco Giants and the run yeah. they've had and, uh, that, that's been fun to watch too. So, but no matter what I say, I'm going to get shit on because especially where I live here, if I say Dodgers, half the people are going to hate me. If I say Raiders, half the people are going to hate me. So yeah. you, it's like, you got to pick, you got to pick a corner over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, that's my thing with baseball. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a Giants fan, but I'll, I have Cleveland Indian hats. I have Dodger hats. It's, it's mm-hmm. baseball mm-hmm. doesn't matter to me, but when the Niners lose, like don't expect <laughs> me at work on Monday. It's I, that oh bad. no! I oh, get no. I am. <laughs> I don't bother okay. contacting him. Oh, it's a waste of time. Everybody so, knows. All my friends know. Do not contact me if the Niners lose. So, who, what's your prediction for the Niners this year? I this year they they're looking really good, and that preseason is just preseason. Granted, they're not going to show you any plays that they're going to run. Um, mm-hmm. I think Jimmy G is going to have a. Mm-hmm. It's either going to be. He eats chowder and does nothing, or he just shows the hell up and lights it up mm. because their first round draft pick, they pick a quarterback. Now that's got to mm. make Jimmy feel pretty insecure. So it's mm. like, dude, I either got to go balls to the wall or he's going to eat chowder. But Trey Lance looked good in preseason. Kids got an mm. arm and might be the next Russell Wilson. I'm very pro mm. Jimmy Garoppolo, very pro. I haven't given up on him, but yeah. my prediction that the Niners they're going to do as long as everybody stays healthy. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah. they still have not fired their strength and conditioning. Coach. <laughs> because, you know, 32 on injured. You see, now I'm going off. Now you got me started. Uh, yeah, yeah. 32 on the injured reserve list is just unacceptable. Yeah, it, it's unacceptable. Yeah. Like something, somebody's yeah. doing something wrong if that many people are hurt. But anyways, yeah. I, I don't have a set number of predictions, but I think they are going to do very well this year. Very well. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they have. You know, I, I just following sports. They they've had a a good, better than average run. You know, they they're they had some highs and lows for sure. sure. But sure. Um, yeah, for sure, they're they're built to have a decent season, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Uh, next question. What's the most interesting sport you've had to work with? <laughs> I didn't find any like motorsports or anything in, in your, in your mm-hmm. book history. Well, I've worked with, I've been contacted, but everyone, um, uh, motorsports, auto racing, bass fishermen, pro bass fishermen, mm-hmm. uh, fighter pilots, uh, you you name it um the fighter pilots were pretty pretty unique for sure and, yeah. and working with you know sitting around having conversations with guys who land fighter jets on aircraft carriers and guys who fly black hawk helicopters and in, in the height of the iraq war and talking about how you handle emotions and stress and yeah. get psyched oh, up yeah. for stuff that's just next level but it's also interesting how unsophisticated so it's basically survival of the fittest and and i've seen that in a lot of high level situations too where you think it's wow they must have you know nfl right like man they got it figured out unlimited resources best the best in the world of everything and when you spend time with some of these teams you say man it's no different than the shit i talk to high school coaches about or stuff we talk about in my intro to sports psych class it's not like they have some super they have some hidden knowledge and wisdom that nobody else has at the end of the day it comes down to discipline and, and doing what you know you need to do. And I think, you know, love him or hate him was Tom Brady. You know, he's a disciplined guy. He does yeah. look how he take LeBron James, look how they take care of their body. Roger Federer up until recently was knee surgeries, but um, so interesting. The fighter pilots definitely uh, quite unique. And, you know, it really hit me. We were talking about landing on, uh, aircraft carriers at night and I was asking them, okay. And again, thinking, and, uh, they must have this figured out and dialed in. So I really want to know what, like, how do you guys handle those moments? And he said, well, look, when, when we come into land, if we land, cause oftentimes they miss planes go over the edge of the boat, they lose jets. Um, said when, when we get out of, the cockpit we're shaking like the adrenaline and the rush it's just like you're out of your skin in a sense and i said well how did you prepare for that and how did the military prepare for you for that so they didn't it's just the ones who could do it lot made it like it's just survival of the fittest and you if you couldn't handle it you weren't doing it and, and so the military has changed because they can't afford to just hope some guys figure it out and we have enough. So they actually military hires a lot of performance psychologists now too. And so that was an interesting one. WWE. Really? Um, I'm yeah. a big pro wrestling fan. That's interesting. <laughs> they brought me out to uh, their training facility, their headquarters in Orlando. Oh. And it was funny because they uh, contacted me and, and at first I thought it was a joke. I said, really? <laughs> so they, they, but at the end of the day, like I've worked with all these different groups all over the world and cricket and you name it. Uh, it's it, it, again, it's, it's people, right? right? So yeah, it's, it's pro wrestling, but it's, it's people who are pro wrestlers. So yeah. there's still principles of teaching and learning and feedback and practice design and, and things like that. So that was really interesting because I spent five days there with them and they designed it so that they wanted me to come in and observe them and all their 
um, different situations and give them feedback on their on on how they develop talent and and how they coach because all their coaches are former wrestlers yeah. and so there's no like you don't go to school to learn how to coach or get a degree in coaching it's just one day you're wrestling the next day okay you're coaching so that's fine to a point but they're a multi-billion dollar business and they are opening they were performance centers around the world and so there's treating it more like an investment like if we're going to have sustained business and and healthy and productive athlete entertainers we need good coaches yeah. so come and help us understand that so they they uh coordinated it so that they had an addition while i was there they have 40,000 people a year around the world who auditioned to get into the WWE. They had an addition where they brought in the top 40 after they whittled it down. And I got to sit through an addition with them. They had um, some rehearsals there. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, they're acting, but they're great athletes. These yeah. are phenomenal at, at that size. What some of these guys is yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. And um and they had five rings set up in the performance center and each ring is a level. So if you make it through the, the addition and you might not have ever wrestled, like you get people from all walks of life. So oh, people yeah. never, never wrestled, you know, or anything. So ring one is basically like the kiddie pool. You're going to learn how to wrestle and not get killed. Right. And how to, so that's really Got to take Wrestling. those bumps. Learn to take a bump. Wrestling 101, right? Then, so you move around the rings, and the fifth ring are the people you see on TV and going on tour and stuff like that. But they're all in the same room. Like, it's just a gym, basically a big open gym. And um, so the one thing I remember distinctively, it was really interesting, and, and also just seeing how the performers uh, put on their, their shell, in a sense. So they're playing a role, this alter ego, right? A persona. But then they'd come out of that and they'd walk out of the ring and they'd come over and talk to him. They'd just be really genuine in some of them. And he was like, hey, can I talk to you? You know, I got this issue I've been dealing with. So one minute you're watching them toss people all over the place <laughs> and pound in their chest and what you'd see on TV. And then a minute later, 20 feet away, you realize they're a 22-year-old kid who's got anxiety and same issues everybody else has right. um and then the the other thing that stood out was uh, they wanted me to do a couple of sessions in their boardroom with their head coaches and so sean michaels was in there yes and yeah you've heard of sean michaels right yeah i mean <laughs> you, I, I worked in pro wrestling commentary for a couple of years and sean uh, michaels you my all-time favorite i you would know all, all these guys with him yeah yeah, way more than I would. So anyways, it's funny because he he looked like Shawn Michaels. So, so he had a cowboy hat on, you know, mm -hmm. cowboy boots, ripped jeans, tank top, whatever. He looked like Keith Richards, you know, like weather. <laughs> this, guy, this guy's lived a life. Okay? <laughs> and um, he didn't want to stick around. And, you know, I couldn't, I can't blame the guys. Like, who the hell is this guy? I'm going to sit through this guy's going to give a lecture. You know, fuck off. I'm going home. <laughs> so the, the head coach, another former wrestler, um, he said, no, you're, 
you're staying for this session. We pay to bring this guy and you're going to stay. It's 45 minutes. So I'm sitting at this little, in this little tiny boardroom at a, a table that seats maybe 12. And I'm sitting, so we're elbow to elbow. And I got Sean Michael sitting beside me. And right away, I can tell, you know, he's leaning back, he's got his arms folded. And I've done stuff with teams all over the world. So I know the deal. It's like, okay, we done yet? Can we get out of here? Like some people are, are just not ready or interested. And I'm not some big famous person. So it's not like they got, you know, Bill Belichick sitting there. It's like, Wade, who? Who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. So I say, you know what? Whatever. He's here. We're going to make it work. I'm going to try and share a few things with him that he might, might find in the whole group right there. And so they were really engaged, but he didn't say a lot. But over the session, and I always try and make it about the people I'm working with. I don't go in and ever really lecture at people unless they tell me, hey, we're paying you for a lecture. We want you to lecture. <laughs> but I, my preference is I want to make it interactive. I want to interact with people, connect with people, talk to people. Um, so over the 45 minutes through discussions and examples and stuff, he, you know, he arms, now he's more relaxed in his chair. He's not folding his arms. He's leaning forward. He's kind of smiling a little bit. And I have this one uh, diagram. It's a, it's a pyramid and it's got building blocks of greatness in it that we use from work I did with John Wooden at UCLA. And so I shared that and went through it. And at the end, I'll never forget at the end of the session, now, I was probably 45 at the time. And, and so at the end of the session, he stands up and he, he, he just kind of grabs my hand and shakes my hand and goes in this real gruff kind of voice. Goes, hey, kid. Hey, kid. Hey, that, that pyramid thing you showed. Really like it, man. That was really cool. <laughs> Walked out of the room. And so I, I, I just always remember, like, I got a seal of approval from Shawn Michaels. I must have been doing something right. I'll take Hell it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, uh, that was a fun one. Very cool. Well, Wade, uh, we real like quick. To, oh, you quick. got one more? I have one more serious okay. question that uh, it's kind of a newer question, but this one is to be taken very seriously. Would you rather fight <laughs> a horse-sized chicken or 10 chicken-sized horses? And there is a right <laughs> answer. Right there is a right answer. There is a right answer. A horse-sized chicken, or ten. What was the other option? Chicken ten or ten chicken-sized horses. <laughs> you know, when you woke uh, up this morning, you weren't expecting this. Were you? you never know when that situation will happen. Yeah, I take the the ten uh, chicken-sized horses because I, I figured I could start booting them around, take yeah. a few out of you know. Just Punt the little yeah, bastards, but if exactly. you have a horse-sized chicken coming at you, one peck to the face, and you're screwed. So you hey got to You got to run. Yeah, we're on the same page. <laughs> definitely, definitely, we're on the same page here. I see. Yeah, exactly. Oh shit. Well, uh, Doctor Wade Gilbert, man, we we appreciate it, and um, we always like to leave the guests with any last words of encouragement. Made those that are, uh, you know, maybe someone's listening. Uh, you know, they're a leader or. Uh, struggling with some mental health or coming out of addiction or whatever else it is, you can kind of lend to people some positive advice. Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity. And, and one of my favorite quotes is when one person teaches two people learn. And, and so any opportunity you have to share your story, mentor, teach, lead other people, and you may, your initial response might be, I, I'm not, I can't do that. I'm not ready for that. 
you always, there's always these moments in life where you have opportunities to take a step, to step out of your comfort zone, to try things. And, and to be fully alive, you have to do that. You, you have to try those things and you, it will be uncomfortable, it will be messy, you will fail, but that's how you grow. And that's how you really feel alive and, and find your purpose in life and find yourself. So I would definitely encourage you to take advantage of opportunities to mentor, to lead, to could be speaking at a church group or a small group or a mentorship or one-on-one or whatever. Um, you'll surprise yourself. You, you have more power in, inside you than, than you realize and you do have gifts to share and, and unlock. Um, also, you can't do it alone. My experience and also being around world-class athletes and teams and you, you, even a Michael Jordan wasn't going to win a championship until he came to the point where he realized I can't one against five. I can't beat teams by myself. I have to trust my teammates. I have to connect with my teammates. I have to care about them. So you allow yourself to open up um, to other people who want to help you in your life. Um, and sometimes you'll get betrayed and sometimes that trust will be broken and that's painful, but it's also part of growing and being alive again. Right. So those would be big ones. And then the last one, I guess I would share is, um, just that idea of, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be present. And, and another quote I like is, you know, don't let best get in the way of better. Hmm. Often we, we stop ourselves from taking a step because we don't feel we're ready. Like in my world in sport, right? A coach or an athletic director is like, hey, that's a great idea, but we're not quite ready yet. We haven't practiced it enough yet, or we don't have, it's not fully done, or we haven't fully vetted it. And just fucking try it, man. Take a step. Take a step. That's the only way you're going to get better and learn and grow is to try and so if you're always waiting for it to be right or finished or best, you'll never take that step and you'll miss opportunities. So don't let best get in the way of better. If you, anytime you take a step, you're getting better. And so you just have to keep, keep those things in mind, but it, it's hard for sure. It's hard, but those are things that, that I find to be helpful. Dr. Way Gilbert, thank you. This has been a pleasure. Oh, no. Thanks, guys. It's uh, I got to say, this has probably been the most uh, fun I've had on a podcast in a long time. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yes. Love it. Yeah. Love yeah. It. Dr. Wade Gilbert, thank you again for your time and joining us here on Knocking Doors Down. I mean, just the list of people and teams that he's worked at with over the years. Of course, uh, the Canadian Olympic Association. He's worked with U.S. Olympics, Fresno State Athletics, every sport there. The Fresno School District, uh, New Zealand, he's been there. International ice hockey, rugby, uh, you name it, he's done it. Like he said, uh, you know, football, baseball, soccer, it, it's all happened. And just a fascinating guy, uh, including one of my favorites, 
World Wrestling Entertainment. That was a pretty cool story. Are you a wrestling fan? Just a little bit. Oh. Just a skosh. I don't think I knew that. Just a skosh there, <laughs> Uncle Mikey. So it's pretty cool to hear how he uh, had that relationship with uh, Shawn Michaels that was a little truculent at first, and all of a sudden Shawn Michaels was like, oh, shit, okay, I'm on board. I get this now. It's weird because when he was explaining Shawn Michaels, it's kind of exactly how I pictured Shawn Michaels being. I don't know why. Right. I just I pictured that. Right. I don't know why. Just kind of like, ah, I'm, yeah. you know, ah, I'm one of the great professional wrestlers of all time. And then I was like, and, he, oh, and don't oh, get me sure. wrong. I love Shawn Michaels, but like outside of the ring, I pictured him kind of being like, man, I'm a great. I don't need this. Yeah. For, forget this. You know, I, I don't know. Well, yeah. Not, Who knows? Not hating on him. I love the HBK, we, but you know. Thank you again, Dr. Gilbert. Uh, um, again, you can check him out on uh, Twitter. We have those links there. We just shared his... Um, his story and his uh, connections there. So uh, interesting guy, but uh, thanks. And if you want some uh, words of inspiration to hear how someone turned their life around when in the thrust of addiction, Carlos Vieira's autobiography, Knocking Doors Down, which uh, is the antithesis, antithesis for this podcast, talks about his 13-year struggle with cocaine addiction and uh, substance abuse, how he fell into it, and subsequently how he got out of it. And, you know, different things, including the Carlos Vieira Foundation that we work hand-in-hand with, as well as uh, 5150 LTM, our primary sponsor here on the podcast. And, of course, you know, it's uh, it's just a great read. I mean, it reads like a like a movie, and I, I know you're not a big reader, but you, you finished it in, what, two days? Not at all. Not a reader whatsoever. But, yeah, killed the book in six two, hours? Two days. Yeah, it only took me two days because I started at, like, 8 o'clock and at night and got tired. But it reads well. Reads like a movie. I'm yeah. not a reader, but I enjoyed it. And that's not just saying that because, you know, it's the book, but... It's true. Well, do yourself a favor and pick one up. And of course, all the proceeds go back to the Carlos Vieira Foundation, helping the three programs here in our community. And of course, for more on that, you can click the link in the podcast for Carlos Vieira Foundation, as well as the Knocking Doors Down autobiography. Uh, Uncle Mikey, anything else? Mm, no, nah, I'm going home. All right. Keep knocking doors down. Strengthening communities, providing resources, building awareness, empowering youth in need to overcome adversity and achieve success. This is what the Carlos Vieira Foundation is all about. Through our campaigns, the Race for Autism, Race to End the Stigma, and Race to Be Drug Free, we're able to help so many in need. Our goal is to provide support to families and children and give these families opportunities that might not normally arise. Learn more and find out how you can get involved. Visit carlosvierafoundation.org today. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. 
Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.